chronological life of Jesus, and we're going to pick it up in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. We were reading last time in Luke, but uh, this particular portion, Matthew gives a little bit more detail. And last time we had finished up in Luke, we had finished up on the verse, which is shown in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me, or blessed is he who does not fall away because of me. We talked last time about how things will happen in our lives where God seems to do things that we're not ready for. And, and uh, will we fall away because of it? But let's pick it up now in verse 7. <clears throat> and these men were going away and Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay, so remember the context is that John the Baptist is in prison. He sent two of his disciples to Jesus asking, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus told them to just watch. And what he did is he, he, had, uh, he healed all sorts of people on that occasion. And then he said to them, go tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. You've heard me speak, now you've seen me heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. You go tell John. And then as they're leaving, Jesus starts to address the crowd that's left there. His disciples around him. He starts addressing them and and the others that are around him in that crowd. Remember, he had healed many people. And he starts to speak to them about John the Baptist. And he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And so this question demands a, a, a negative answer in the sense that, no, that's not what we went out to see. In other words, John the Baptist was not a wishy-washy sort of guy. John the Baptist was very strong in his testimony. Remember how he had challenged the Pharisees. He said to them, "Who, you brood of vipers, he said to them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, and, and then he says to them, but what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. Again, another question demanding a negative answer. If you look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist, it says that, that he wore uh, uh, leather clothing and, he, and uh, he lived really rough. He ate locusts and wild honey. He lived in the wilderness. And this is the man that, that was sent to give a testimony. He had a very effective ministry. He stayed primarily in, in, in the desert, the wilderness of, of, of Judea, in the Judean desert, which runs right down... Uh, and, and then and then runs right into the uh, uh, Jordan River, where he would do a lot of his baptizing. And he was a different-looking sort of guy, very different in his <clears throat> in his appearance. And then he says, he says, "What did you go out to see? You think he was dressed in soft clothing? No, he wasn't." He says, "But what did you go out to see?" In verse nine, a prophet? Yes, 
I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. And so he's quoting now from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, our last book of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, he's, He's quoting that before the coming of the Messiah, someone is going to come and prepare the way. This is the one who's come to prepare the way. He says he's more than a prophet. Prophets were ones that received in the Old Testament direct revelation from God. He says John the Baptist was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet because he introduced the way to the coming Messiah. Jesus is saying, he introduced the way for me. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. That this was an introduction of Jesus. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has, arisen, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he says that of all the Old Testament prophets, of all of them, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And this is really extraordinary for a Jew. Jews always will place Moses right there at the top. Moses wrote the first five books. The writings of Moses, they will primarily focus upon the writings of Moses. In fact, they primarily... uh, put their, their, their focus upon now the, the reading, the teachings of, of the Mishnah, uh, that were the, the interpretations of this and the extensions of this. But they will read every week in their synagogues from the writings of Moses, every week. And then they will read another portion, say, from the Psalms or the other prophets. But he says, John the Baptist is greater. Now, it's hard for us to fathom this too, because the Gospel writers rightly focus primarily upon Jesus. But John the Baptist had an extremely effective ministry. Everyone who was baptized by John, when Jesus came and appeared to them, they immediately received him. John the Baptist, preparing the way for the Lord, was very effective. Very effective ministry he had. And he says that that, uh, even though he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, this new kingdom that's coming... The person who's least in that kingdom is going to be greater than John the Baptist. This is a really interesting comment. You know, people sometimes, uh, uh, Christians, as you know, can be a little bit odd sometimes. And, and they will look at me because I come from a Jewish background and be all enamored because I come from a Jewish background. And the thing about it is, there is nothing, nothing in the flesh that is ahead of what is in the Spirit. What we are in the Spirit far supersedes what we are in the flesh. Someone who is part of the Kingdom of Heaven has something so much richer than anything that is in the flesh. So if you're proud of your heritage, if you're proud of your race, if you're proud of your status, that is nothing compared to your status in the Kingdom of God if you know Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. What we are in the Spirit is so much greater than what we are in the flesh. What we are in the Spirit far supersedes anything that anyone ever is in the flesh. And this is what he's saying about John. And he says, John was a different sort of appearing guy. I mean, John was not wishy-washy. He, had, he was very firm in his testimony. Very firm in what he had to say. And we're going to pick up more on this in just a moment. Then he says in verse 12, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. So he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now. So when John was preaching until now, 
He says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. The Pharisees were trying to pull people back. They were threatening them, saying, if you follow this Jesus, you'll be out of the synagogue. There was violence going on. There was this fighting for people's lives. He says that John's ministry, what John did, was greater than all the other Old Testament prophets before him. Although in the Old Testament, many of the prophets were proclaiming that Messiah would come, John made the introduction. This is the blessing that we have. We get to introduce Jesus to people. This is a tremendous blessing. When you can introduce somebody to Jesus, this is a tremendous blessing. This is the advantage that John the Baptist had over the other Old Testament disciples, Old Testament prophets. This is what he had. He could physically go and make testimony of Jesus, saying, this is the Lamb of God. We can make testimony of Jesus. What we have under the New Covenant is far greater than what they had under the Old Covenant. You would say, oh, I wish God spoke to us like He spoke to the prophets of old. God has testified to us even greater. There's a portion in in Hebrews chapter 11. Keep your finger there in Matthew, but turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. That is the chapter on faith, and it goes through and it, it lists person after person after person from the Old Testament who was a person of faith. And then after getting to the end of listing all those people, In verse 39 of Hebrews chapter 11, it it says, And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. You see what He's given us in the body of Christ in the church? is something better than what they have. Better than what they had. They would not even be made perfect without us. What we have been given is something that is far greater. The fellowship that you and I can have with God the Father because of the death death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is far greater than what anyone in the Old Testament ever had. And that's why Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest man that has ever been born of woman in the context of his being a prophet. Then he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Our position is greater. If we don't take advantage of it, That's our own fault. But God has opened the door for us to have much more, much more, much more fellowship, much greater fellowship with God, much greater relationship, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us in a manner that cannot be taken away. And then he goes on and he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he in verse 11 of Matthew 11. In other words, this is a prophecy, this is a prophecy where Jesus is saying, John's not going to be in that kingdom. This is a prophecy concerning death of John the Baptist that's soon going to occur. Because he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When the new kingdom ushers in at Jesus' death and resurrection, John the Baptist will no longer be alive. This is a prophecy concerning that. And now in, in verse 13, of Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So you see, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Although he appears in the New Testament, he is in the Old Old Testament prophet style. All the law and the prophets prophesied until John. That's where it ended. The Old Testament law ended there. The New is coming in. That's why when people will try to get you, and you will find this in your life, you will meet even Christians that want you to go back under the Old Testament law. 
That is done. It is done. We are free from that. If they want to put themselves under it, that is fine for them. But we shall not be legalists and put this upon other people. He says, it is done. The Old Testament law is over. It was over with the coming of John, the introduction of, of, the, uh, of the Messiah. It's over. Then he, he says, in verse 14, And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. If you remember in, in the first chapter of, of J- the Gospel according to John, John the Disciple, it says, uh, um, John the Baptist said, I am not Elijah. They asked him, are you Elijah who is to come? He says, I am not Elijah. And here Jesus says, he says, uh, John himself is Elijah. So in, in verse 14, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. If people had received the message of Jesus, if they had received Jesus, John would have fulfilled the role of Elijah. But since they didn't receive Jesus, Elijah is yet to come, and we'll talk more about that when we discuss the transfiguration. Verse 15, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now this is a really interesting portion. Verse 16, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like the children, it is like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Interesting portion. He says, this generation, let me tell you what this generation is about. And Jesus is not talking about us today. He is talking about that generation. When Jesus says, this generation, he means the generation that he's living in. He says, let me tell you what it's like. This generation of people is like children who are, 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 are there, and he, he says that they call out to other children, and they say, we played a flute for you, you did not dance, we sang a dirge for you, you did not mourn. So in other words, he says that this generation is saying, hey, come and follow our pattern, follow Pharisaic Judaism, Follow our rules, follow our, resur- uh, 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 our regulations, but you would not have it according to our way. He says, so then what they said, because John the Baptist would not follow their ways, they said to him, uh, uh, he has a demon. Now, John the Baptist w- was a Nazarite. He would not drink alcohol. He fasted frequently because of these vows that he made being a Nazarite. So he didn't drink alcohol and he fasted frequently. Jesus, on the other hand, we know of a 40-day fast that he went on, but he didn't fast frequently. He didn't observe all these fasts that the Pharisees had. And he drank alcohol. He made alcohol. He served alcohol. And it says, And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard. So of Jesus, they said, A gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, and sinners. That is a euphemism for prostitutes. So, remember what John the Baptist was. John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking, and they said he has a demon. And eventually, remember, what happens to the herald is actually also going to happen to the king. They will soon accuse Jesus of having demons in him. And in fact, you can look 
in the Jewish writings today, which exist from that time period, and, the, and it, it will speak of Jesus. It never denies the works that he did. They couldn't deny it. There were too many witnesses. But what it says is that he did these works by divination. In other words, that he was demon-filled. And these writings about Jesus will exist today. What they said about John the Baptist, they're soon going to say about Jesus. But what I want you to reflect upon is this. Jesus and John were very different in their behaviors. Jesus, remember, had this this one-piece tunic. John the Baptist wore no soft clothing. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Jesus lived amongst the people. John the Baptist didn't eat He only ate very strange food, locusts and wild honey. And he didn't drink alcohol. He fasted often. Jesus didn't fast that often. Jesus partook with the people. Jesus ate with the people. Jesus drank with the people. And they had an accusation against each of them. This will happen to you today. If it hasn't happened to you, it will. And that is this. That you will never satisfy people of the world. You will never satisfy them. They will always say, oh, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Let me give you an example. One day, um, when I was an assistant professor, I, I, um, I had a bunch of notices made up uh, inviting the campus to a prayer meeting that said that we were going to have these, these weekly prayer meetings. And I sent them, and I had them put in everybody's mailbox, a physical sheet of paper, and I paid for it. I had them run off myself, and I had campus mail. I paid them to do it. And somebody sent me an email, and this was in the early days of email, and they sent me an email from the campus, another another, uh, staff member on campus, and they said, I was really offended by that invitation. And so I emailed them back, throw it out. If it offends you, throw it out. I get invitations all the time from the Performing Arts Center, and I don't care about that, so I throw it out, but I'm not offended. So if it bothers you, throw it out. And then the person emailed me back. Look, I have been a lifelong atheist, and I was very offended by what I received from you. And I emailed back, throw it out. Then they emailed me back. They said, you are not like the other good Christians that I know. So I emailed them. I said, you've been a lifelong atheist, and now you are a judge of what good Christian is. So no matter what I do, people are not going to be happy with me. If I speak a lot about Jesus, there's a bunch of people that are not happy with me. If I encourage people to come to church, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to be happy with me. You are going to find this in your life. You can never fully please all the people around you. You just walk with Jesus. He said, John the Baptist and I were two totally different people. And neither of us could please them. Of John the Baptist, he said, they said, yeah, he has a clean life, but he lives, he's full of demons. Jesus, he lives among the people. Oh, he's a gluttonous man and a drunkard. There will be accusations. You will never fully please everyone around you. But then Jesus makes, makes another important point. He says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let the deeds vindicate. Let the deeds vindicate. So in other words, um, uh, there, there, are, there are professors on campus that will take their lecture time to speak negatively about Christians. Because students have come to me and say, oh, this, this professor, so-and-so, is always saying 
negative things about Christians, that Christians are stupid because they believe this, that Christians are stupid because they believe that. Now, it's one thing to not care about Christians and to just you know, block that out. It is another thing to openly take time and speak against them. That's a, that's a very different sort of thing. And, and uh, so students were concerned that I should go and I should confront this professor. I said, let me ask you this. Why don't you go and get to know that professor? So you come in my home, you've seen me, you know me, you get to know that professor. I will bet you that if they are married, that their spouse doesn't like them very much. I'll bet you that their children don't like them very much, that they have very little relationship with their children. Because wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. People can speak all sorts of things, but let's see where wisdom is vindicated. You know, there are people who will speak that, you know, oh, you have to be generous, you have to do this, you have to give to this. Well, how generous are you really? You know who really knows how generous I am financially, besides God? is my accountant. They see, that she sees, that's uh, uh, Jan Whitehead in this church. I mean, she does my accounting. And, and she sees. I don't think you really know what the generosity of a person is until you've seen their income tax return, their income tax statement. Really. That you see what they've made and what they've given. You hear about all these politicians, oh, we should care for the poor, and then you find out, you know, they, they put up their income tax returns because people push them on it, that they give almost nothing. Or the year that they started running for office, then all of a sudden they gave 1% or something. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Jesus said, you watch their deeds. You watch those Pharisees. You watch those Pharisees that criticize John the Baptist, that criticize me. You watch what they do. You watch how they treat people. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. The other thing about this is that, is that um, as a believer, I'm telling you, you will experience this too. You will never satisfy all believers. You never will. I mean, many believers have other things that I ought to be doing. I get, be, be, because I'm out there and my, my name is out there, people will come to me and they, they, will, they will say certain things to me. For example, oh, you shouldn't eat meat. You know, I get this in the mail all the time, emails from people. You shouldn't eat meat because of this, 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 and this. So I'm not pleasing them. Or other people feel that I should take a stronger stand on creation. You know, and I, I put a very clear position point on my website because I got tired of speaking to everybody about this. But people really want me to take a very firm stand here or a very firm stand here. And what I've done, I've gone right down the middle and nobody is happy with me. Nobody. Nobody's happy with me. But, you know, after a lot of thought, this is the position that I took. Let me tell you something about my life to see if you, to, to maybe keep you from falling into this. When I was a young believer, I would in many ways justify um, how well my walk was by how much I could do for the Lord. And I'll give you an example. So, when I, when I went to graduate school, I was, I was you know, a few years in the Lord, and I was newly married. And, and I got, um, you know, the church recognized some things, and they put me in certain positions. And so, I had two mornings a week in leadership in the church, two morning meetings a week. All right, so remember, here I am a graduate student, so I had two morning meetings a week. Sundays were absolutely filled, because 
we, we had uh, facilities that we didn't own, so we had to take trucks and bring in chairs and set them all up and tables because we would obviously have a fellowship meal. And, you know, so my day started at like 7, ended about 3, sort of like it does now. But, but I, I did a lot more heavy lifting in work. So Sunday was just full, plus these two mornings a week. Plus I led a Bible study in the evening, uh, a home group. Shereen and I led a, a, a Bible study group. That was one night a week. I did one night a week evangelism, so I led led the evangelistic outreach. So I was going and knocking on doors or going through the student center. We'd go out two by two. If nobody showed up, I went out alone to the student center and was sharing. And then I was teaching a Bible study in the chemistry department. And then on Monday night, we had church prayer meetings. So I was doing a PhD, too. And I was a new husband. And you know what happened is I was trying to fit into what everybody thought was good for Christians to do. You know, good Christians should do this. You know, you, good Christians, you've got to attend a prayer meeting. You've know, you got to do these. And, and you're in leadership now. You've got to attend these morning meetings. And I got about wiped out. By the time I was getting my PhD, I mean, Shireen was just, I mean, would look at me and just say, you are just doing too much. But I was justifying my, my own faithfulness to God based on all of this. And even with all that, there were other things that other people felt that I should be doing. Even with all of that. I don't know if you've ever slipped into this. Probably not to the same extent, except maybe you guys. Chuck has? Chuck slipped into this? Okay. So, ho- hopefully he'll get delivered today. <laughs> but... but um, uh, Remember, you will never fully satisfy even other believers what their expectations are for what you ought to be doing. Everybody is different, but wisdom is justified by her deeds. I'm in a very comfortable place now. I know very well how to say no. I know how to say no in all sorts of languages. I can say no. And many people walk away kind of frustrated because I say no to this activity. You ought to go on a mission trip. You leave the college students on a mission trip to, you know, someplace in South America. I don't want to go on a mission trip. I got other things to do. You want to take them on a mission trip? Go. Go. Gym tour doesn't have to go to make a way for them. I'm not John the Baptist introducing the, the college students. And this is part of why I don't put a lot upon you. You know, to come to this class, I'm not saying you've got to do this, you've got to show up to this meeting, because I know you have other activities. You're involved in different campus groups, different campus ministries. I don't want to put that upon you. If you want to get involved, I can tell you how to get involved. I mean, we have lots of ways you can get involved in this church, and I, and I hope you are involved in some ways. But I'm not going to put that upon you, because I don't want to happen to you what happened to me give you an idea how bad it was. So I was going out once a week, knocking on doors all around campus in graduate school, sharing Jesus, which is considered a pretty good thing, right? That's a good thing to do. There were times where I would knock on the door, people would invite me in and I'd start talking, they're sitting there watching TV, and in my heart, as I'm sharing with them, I would think, why do I want you to come to Jesus so that you could be run ragged like I am right now? And you're comfortable here in your place just watching TV. I wish I could just sit back and watch TV with you. I'm tired. That's how far I had come. You will never fully please everyone. 
And even if you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, people were always questioning him. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? Why do your disciples not wash their hands when they... He said, look, you know, they'll fast after I'm gone. Uh, they don't have to wash their hands. I mean, all of these are your rules of men. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Jesus was full of good deeds. All the books in the world, it says, could not contain all the good things that he has done. Wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. There's a portion of understanding that, Lord, I serve you. I serve you. I serve you, my Father. My service is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this, I'm going to offend people. Remember Jesus had just said, Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is he who is not offended by Jim Tour saying no. I'm going to say no to certain things. And you need to learn how to balance your life. And there are seasons in life. For most people, the problem is they do nothing. So they are on the other extreme. That's where most people are. They do nothing in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just full of feeding their, their hearts and their bellies for themselves. And so we call you into a little bit of service. But on the other side, you will never fully please everyone. You need to learn to hear from God. I'll give you another example. A campus minister came to me this past week. And he said, I'm going to start a new program where I want the students involved in our campus group to read the Bible in a year. And I said to him, I think it's a mistake. Now, who preaches reading the Bible more intensely than Jim Tour? I mean, to me, this is a very big deal. But I said, what happens is when you push a person to read this in a year, I've seen it. I've seen it. They rush through it because it's hard to read through this book in a year and enjoy it. And they just, oh, I've got to read it. God, I'm good. I said, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. When I'm done, I start again. I've been doing this for over 30 years. But I'm in no particular hurry. How long does it take me to get through the Bible? Three, four years. Because I just stop in a paragraph for a week until I feel like, God, just speaking so much to me. And then when I'm done with that, I move on. I said, what's going to happen is people will just drill through this thing, but you'll lose people. And then they'll feel convicted because they're behind. And what happens if they're behind? You know, they go away for a week and they come back. Now they're a week behind. Now what's going to happen? Then they're going to feel so convicted. I said, don't do this to people. It's not written that you have to read this book in a year. It's written you meditate on this word. You meditate on this word. This is what we are called to do, to meditate on the word of God. But you want to put this parameter on it? I think you're going to hurt people. I don't know if you heard me. I did. You know, I, I wasn't embracing, I wasn't carrying his banner, so Jim Tour didn't please him either. But this is the type of thing. You need to enjoy the Scriptures, you need to enjoy God, and remember, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word is true. Lord, thank You for teaching us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you demonstrated deeds and the wisdom was vindicated. Father, I pray that you would take these young people and cause them to to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. Father, I pray that you'd keep them in a place where even though the world may be upset with them or the world may confront them, Father, that they would be able to learn what it is to walk 
in a manner, manner that's pleasing to you, my Father. Pleasing to you. Father, your grace be upon them. The grace of God be on them, I pray. And Father, I pray that you'd keep them close to you, that you'd keep them in your word, reading it and enjoying it and meditating on it. The grace of God be with them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.